Good morning, church family, and welcome to uh, all of us here today. We give you thanks, Lord, that we're together. Thank you that you came online. Um, yeah, let's join the house today. Amen? So let's uh, start out with a little reading in Psalm. Psalm 95. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to come. All right. In front of you in the pocket is a ballot. We'll start that first. Scott Kingston is uh, being voted on today for elder. And uh, would you please make that vote as I'm babbling up here so that you can put it in the offering basket as it comes around uh let's see oh here's uh there's a ton of announcements so in your handout or online you can go through all of them there's a lot of them in there uh, i don't want to belabor all of it but there's some really good information in there one of them i do want to highlight though is the vbs vbs is in need of at least two more teachers and at least two more assistants we have lots of uh people that have offered their homes for this but they are short some teachers it's only two hours for uh, a day it's in your bulletin uh, i want to give you an update about the ipm process you know that we have partnered with the interim pastoral ministries and we have been uh, seeking god's direction as to who he has in mind for us to help us going forward to Pastor Next. And uh, I'm happy to inform you that we are in communication with one of the pastors that is ending his uh, IPM uh, services at a church he's at in Ohio today. And so we have contacted him as elders. We have also uh, contacted his references, got his resume, and we're praying if this is the man God's leading uh, that it happened, and we ask that you would also pray for God's leading in this area. Um, we are planning on having a Zoom meeting with him next week as elders, and we'll have a further information as that goes on. Uh, one prayer to keep in mind, though, is the housing situation for whoever God brings here. Um, the deacons have a committee for housing. Um, they've done a great job. They're trying hard, but uh, they're having some difficulties finding uh, a good fit, so we need to be in prayer about that. And I will also highlight some other things for me. If you don't have the communion elements with you right now that we're out in the Welcome Center, just raise your hand and someone will come around and yep, raise your hand up high and we'll get you some elements for today. Over here, too, when you're done. Um, here's a reminder. Pastor Robert is now on sabbatical. He's on sabbatical for three months. And we would like him to remain on sabbatical. So he, he, he has delayed this for two years already. So uh, he's in, he, he's in def, definite need of sabbatical. Uh, so please reroute any of your phone calls or emails 
through the office if you uh, had needed to get a hold of Pastor Robert for anything in the in the uh, past. Uh, as always, again, check the bulletin that's online for the most up-to-date information on ministries and events. And let's see, what else can I babble about up here? And that's about it. Get some more over here. That's great. And I'll ask the ushers to come forward. We'll pray for the offering and Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and give you thanks for this time of being able to worship you with our tithes and offerings. God, uh, we owe you everything. Every breath we take comes from you, Lord, and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your Son. Through him we have righteousness with you. Lord God, we ask that you would bless this service that we are uh, committing to you, that we worship you, and that it will be a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. God, thank you for this opportunity. We lift up our uh, missionaries, Lord, who are in the field. These are very trying times for them, Lord God. I pray that you would uplift them, that you would protect them, that you would guide them, and that you would just give them peace. God, we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are worthy indeed of all praise. Over and over again in the Psalms, we hear, let all creation praise the Lord. Everything that has a breath, because we know that every breath we have comes from you. And yet, with every breath, we don't praise you. So, Father, I pray that this morning, afresh, that you help us to see you, how great you are, how merciful you are, and that the response would be joyful praise from our hearts. Father, help me to speak your words and only your words. Help us, Father, to hear your words this morning. Not just with natural human ears, but with ears of faith. Pray this in your name. Amen. You go ahead, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, my name's Michael, and it's uh, good to be with you again this Sunday morning. Um, you know, uh, I was just thinking, driving up here this morning, just kind of the rain, the fog, just how amazing it is that God causes both rain and the sun to fall on the righteous and on the unrighteous. That, that even if that's all he had ever done, he would be merciful. And yet he's done so much more for us in Jesus as we celebrated with communion. Uh, just, just a beautiful thing. Um, well, you know, as I was praying for, for you guys this, uh, this week and leading up to this, I've just been thinking about, you know, how transitions are hard, right? Just been praying for just the season you guys are in. I mean, uh, Al's just made a big difference in my life. Just been such a good model of a shepherd who loves people well. And I know transition and change is hard, right? Um, how do we, because it, it requires endurance. It requires patience. Uh, it requires trusting in God. And none of those things are natural to us as human beings, right? Uh, it, it can be hard. It can be challenging. What does it look like to trust in the midst of heart? And so I was thinking about this passage in Luke 22. You can, you can turn there if you want to, Luke 22. And um, I, I was thinking about this passage that's really meant a lot to me over this last year in terms of what it looks like to trust God and how Jesus models for us and teaches us what it looks like to trust on the most difficult night of his life when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And you might think, well, that sounds like a strange passage to be encouraged by. But I really think there's some beautiful things for us to learn as Jesus shows us that the path of trust is one of prayer. And I think that's because prayer inherently turns us away from ourselves into God. That prayer recognizes that we can't rely on ourselves, but we need to rely on someone or something else to help us. Uh, And so we're going to look at three different scenes in kind of the the movement of the story here. And And as we do that, I want you to really pay attention to the contrast between Jesus and the disciples. I think we're going to see some things here that are going to help us as we lean in. So let me start reading at verse 39. And just as a refresher, Jesus has just celebrated the Passover with his disciples, uh, announced to them that one of them was going to betray him. Um, And now they've left kind of the upper room and are going to their normal place of prayer. So Luke 22, starting at verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. So here Jesus, on his last night, he is putting the emphasis on preparing for this trial through prayer. You've probably heard how many times the word prayer shows up in just these few verses, right? In verse 40, he says, pray that you not fall into temptation. Uh, In verse 41, he knelt down and prayed. In verse 44, he prayed more earnestly. In verse 45, when he rose from prayer. In verse 46, he says, get up and pray. It's like prayers everywhere, right? Like this is a big emphasis. And he even repeats the command to his disciples in verse 46, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And that word temptation can also be translated a trial. So he's saying you've got to pray because there's a trial coming. The storm clouds are gathering and the only way you're going to make it through is through trusting God in prayer. I mean, he'd already warned them back in verse 31 when they're still in the upper room. He said, Simon, that's also Peter's other name, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. The, the, the clouds coming, Jesus has already told them that actually he's going to be handed over, betrayed, right? The, the clouds are coming and Jesus is saying, the only way you're going to endure this hard thing is if you pray. That's the key to making it through. And what I love is that Jesus doesn't just call the disciples to this, but he models that for them, right? Did you look in in verse 41? It says that he withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Jesus himself is praying, entrusting himself to his father. And you see that in 42, right? This famous prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And this is just an amazing prayer, the more I've thought about it. And I think to understand, we have to know a little bit about what is this cup that he's talking about, because we might just hear that language but not really know what he's talking about. Well, over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets speak of this image of God putting up all his wrath for human sin into a cup and making his people or the nations drink it. 
And that's the cup that Jesus is referring. The cup of God's wrath for sin. And here's what's crazy, right? Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. And what blows me away is Jesus knows the Father's going to say no to that. Because Jesus has told the disciples, I've come to die. He told them time after time, this is why I came. I didn't come just to be a good teacher. I came to drink the cup of God's wrath and die to ransom you. So Jesus knows this is the plan. And furthermore, Jesus made this plan with God the Father and the Holy Spirit before the world began, Scripture tells us. This has always been the plan, that he would drink the cup of God's wrath. And yet, he says, if you're willing, take this cup from me. I think this is astounding to hear Jesus, who is fully God, but we forget this sometimes, he's also fully man, in his hour of trial, brings his heart to the Lord and says, Father, this is going to be really hard. And if there's any way we could do it differently, I'd really appreciate that. He already knows what the answer is, but he still honestly brings his heart to his Father. He doesn't squelch it. He brings all his emotions in prayer to God. But then beautifully, he also says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He also trusts his father that, Father, if this is what we're called to do, then I'm going to follow you. And I think the reason why he can pray both of these things is because of how he starts his prayer. He doesn't pray to the Lord God Almighty. He doesn't pray to the Most High. He prays and says, Father. He knows God is his father. He knows that his father is a good father who loves him, who cares for him, who's all wise and all powerful and all good. And so because he trusts his father, he can bring his heart to him. He doesn't have to hide it. And because he trusts his father, he will also trust what his father gives, even if it's not what he asks. And I recognize that maybe for some of us this morning, uh, the term father doesn't bring warmth and compassion. And if that's the case, I just want to say I'm I'm sorry for that. And, And that is the enemy's attack because fathers are meant to reflect the perfect father's heart for us. That God the Father is a perfect, good father. The father our hearts always yearn for. Father, we can trust. And so Jesus prays, Father. He brings his heart, doesn't squelch it, and yet he trusts him. And this is really just what he's taught the disciples to pray. Back in Luke 11, when, when they said, teach us how to pray, he said, ask and you will find, or ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Because which of you being evil, if your son asks you for bread, would give him a stone. And if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more when you ask him will your father give you the Holy Spirit? What Jesus was teaching his disciples is you don't just kind of avoid asking because you're afraid. You bring your full heart to God in prayer and God will always give you more of himself. He might not give you exactly what you ask, but he will give you himself and that is what we need. And Jesus does that here. He prays. And it's notice that as he prays, he gets help. 
In verse 43, an angel from heaven strengthens him. But notice too in verse 44, this isn't just like, oh yeah, I'm going to trust God, thanks, and going on his way. No, he's in anguish. He's praying more earnestly and his sweat is like drops of blood. He is wrestling with his father in prayer. This isn't a trite, like, oh yeah, trust God, it'll all work out. This is a wrestling with God in prayer. And it's as he wrestles with him in prayer and brings his heart that he finds himself strengthened by his father. Strengthened to meet the trial that will come. What about the disciples? How have they been preparing for the trial to come? Look at verse 45. When Jesus rises in prayer, he goes back and he finds them asleep. Exhausted from sorrow. And before we're too hard on them, right? I mean, I don't know if you've been there, but sometimes, right, you just have these burdens on your mind, your heart, and they just weigh on you. And you're just like, I just need to go to sleep. I don't know what else to do. And honestly, sometimes going to bed is the most godly thing you can do. Like, don't stay up just browsing Facebook or on Netflix. Just go to sleep. You'll feel better in the morning, and then you can pray, right? But I think what's going on here is that they had an opportunity to lean in, as Jesus called them to, in that moment to trust God, and instead, they just relied on their own resources, and all they had in and of themselves was the ability to go to sleep. And Jesus tells them, get up, pray, so you will not fall to temptation. So Jesus has been preparing his heart for what's to come. The disciples have just been sleeping, relying on themselves. So I ask you this question this morning, when, when hard things come, when they're on the horizon, Is our instinct more like Jesus to go to our Father and wrestle with him in prayer? Or do we tend to just rely on ourselves like the disciples? Which path are we choosing? Well, let's look at the next scene and see how these different paths lead to different results. Verse 47, we pick up the story. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion? You've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Well, the storm clouds have now arrived. The crowd comes with Judas to betray Jesus. Here's the thing. When you're left to your own resources as human beings, when danger comes, there's only two responses, right? Fight or flight. And so we see here the disciples pick fight. Verse 49, they, they see what's about to happen. And they tell Jesus, we got swords. Should we pull them out and use them? And they don't even wait for Jesus to respond. And we learn from another gospel. It's Peter, pulls out a sword and chops off the high priest's servant's ear. He's going to show him, right? He's going to defend Jesus, right? And yet Jesus says, no more of this. And he touches the, man ear, the man's ear and heals him. Just pause for a moment and think about that. That man is there to arrest Jesus unjustly because Jesus has done nothing wrong. And Jesus goes out of his way to heal him? 
But that's what Jesus taught. You love your enemy. You don't fight your enemy. That's not, that's not the way of Jesus. That's the way of the world. The way of Jesus is you love your enemy. And so he heals this man. And he says, no more of this. Because Jesus isn't surprised about what's happening, right? I mean, he, he predicted the disciples. He said, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. This is part of God's plan. And Jesus is saying, if God won't remove the cup from me, then I will not fight. I will trust. And maybe you might think, well, that's just you know, weakness, right? I mean, it's just weakness that Jesus is displaying. But it's not. Because look at Jesus' boldness in this. In verse 48, when Judas comes up, Jesus says, Judas, are you really betraying me with a kiss? He's calling out the hypocrisy of what Jesus is doing. And he tells the chief priest in verse 52, come on, guys, am I really leading a rebellion? You'll know the answer is no. And furthermore, you have jurisdiction over the temple courtyards. And I was there every single day. You could have arrested me whenever you wanted. But since we all know this is a sham arrest, you're doing it at night. That's what Jesus is saying. That takes courage to stand up to evil and say, what you're doing is wrong. I'm not going to fight you, but I'm not going to stay silent. I'm going to call it out. Because I trust my Father in heaven. I trust what he's doing here. And I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to run. I'm going to walk the way of faith, the middle road, the much more difficult road, a way of trusting God. And Jesus was able to do that because he had prepared himself through prayer to trust his Father. Well, let's now look at the last scene and see how failing to fight well, um, Peter's going to have to resort to flight. In verse 54, we continue reading, Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked close at him and said, This man was with Jesus. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with them, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. Well, Peter had told Jesus, when Jesus had told the disciples, they would all abandon him. He said, not me, Jesus. I'm willing to go to prison and even to die for you. But left to his own devices, left to his own strength, what happens? Well, he seemingly shows bravery in following Jesus into the, the outside courtyard. Can you imagine a house and a little courtyard in front 
with a, a gateway. He comes in. Right? He, he's going further than anybody else. He's showing bravery. But when a servant girl, one of the least important socially, says, weren't you with Jesus? He denies it. And another person comes and says, I'm pretty sure you were with Jesus, right? He says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And finally, someone else says, probably noticing his Galilean accent, he goes, no, no, you're a Galilean. And that's where Jesus came from. So you must have been with Jesus. And Peter again says, man, I don't know him. And then the rooster crows. And Jesus being held in the house, probably looks out a window and makes eye contact with Peter. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? All of a sudden, all your bluster, all your words come crashing down, and all you feel is utter failure. And he goes out and weeps bitterly. Goes out and weeps bitterly. But you know what's amazing? When Jesus had told Peter all this would happen, he said to Peter back in verse 32, again, also called Simon. He says, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. By saying when you've turned back, it implies he's going to abandon Jesus. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. And yet Jesus told Peter, I'm going to pray for you. And it's very likely that while Peter is sleeping, Jesus is in prayer, not only agonizing with God for himself, but praying for his disciples, praying for them that after they fall and fail, that God would protect them from the enemy who wants to turn that into utter defeat and instead redeem it. And when you read in the book of Acts, you see that Peter is a different man. It's almost like he learned his lesson that to trust in himself is disaster. And he goes on to preach to thousands of people and is thrown in jail and beaten and he rejoices for it. And eventually we know from church history is killed, crucified, same way Jesus was. Something changed in Peter. After this failure of his own resources, he learned to trust God. What about Jesus? Is he running away? Verse 63, we see that the men guarding Jesus are mocking him and beating him. They, they blindfold him probably or maybe spinning him around, taking turns hitting him, maybe spitting on him, saying, if you're a prophet, you should know who's doing it. Prophesy. That's a total joke, just mocking, degrading him, right? And yet the irony is that Jesus is the great prophet because he told his disciples, this is what's going to happen. He said, I'll be handed over. They'll mock me. They'll beat me, they'll spit on me, they'll flog me, and they'll crucify me, and I'll rise again. He is the real prophet. He's prophesied that all of this is going to happen. So that's the irony, right? Like He is the true prophet. But what's even crazier to me is this. In the Old Testament, there's a story where David's trying to bring the ark, where God's presence is back to Jerusalem, and he's bringing it back on a cart, which is not how he was supposed to do it. And the cart kind of hits a bump on the road and starts to tip the ark. And a good guy named Uzzah thinking, well, I don't want the ark to fall on the ground and get dirty or something bad happens to you. So he puts out his hand to just steady the ark, right? I mean, pretty harmless. Seems like a good thing to do. And God strikes him dead. Because God had said, a sinful person cannot interact directly with me. Especially before Jesus came. On the side of Jesus, it's different. But back then, you could not do that. He had warned them. You cannot do that. Because here's the thing. 
the dirt of the ground is less dirty than the hand of a sinful human being. And yet, God incarnate, Jesus, the one who spoke the entire universe into existence, who has angels bowing down and worshiping him, is allowing these men to hit him. At any time, he could have said the word and they are dead. He could have called down legions of angels to wipe them all out, establish his kingdom by force. He could have done it. He had all the power. And yet he doesn't because he trusts his father's plan. Here's the thing, right? When we're in hard times, man, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted. Like if somebody gave me an eject button to get out of that hard season, I'd be like, I'm pushing that, right? Let's get out of here. Jesus has the eject button and he didn't push it. He didn't push it. He stayed. He endured because he trusted his father. Because he had prepared himself to trust his father to go all the way through because he knew on the other side of the suffering was resurrection and redemption of the very people that might have, that might have been hitting him. That's amazing. That's mercy. So how, how do we respond to this? Well, I think in one hand, one hand it's clear, right? We, we hear the same words that Jesus said to the disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Don't, don't rely on your own resources. Lean into trusting God. In fact, Peter, having learned his lesson, in 1 Peter 2, starting verse 21, says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's the call. When suffering comes, when hardship comes, we trust ourselves to God. And we do that through prayer. That's the example Jesus has left us. But here's the thing. If we just stopped here this morning, we would just have another law. Another attempt to kind of self-will ourselves, to trust God. We're going to muster up enough faith to trust him. And you know what would happen? The same thing happened to the disciples. We would utterly fail. We can't do it. We, we, we like to think that we could be more like Jesus than the disciples, but let's be honest, we're much more like the disciples than like Jesus, right? We're much more likely to not pray when we should pray. We're much more likely to fall into temptation. I mean, we just can't do this right. So here's the good news, and Peter knew it. Peter, who had utterly failed, knew this. Verse 24 of 1 Peter 2, he goes on to say, he, that's Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so we might die to sins and live to righteousness. Peter said, you know what the good news is? The good news is the cup of wrath that Jesus drank, it wasn't for his sins he drank. Peter would say, it was for my sin of denying Jesus. That's why he drank that cup. It's for the sins of the disciples that abandoned Jesus. That's why he drank the cup. It's for the people that mocked and beat him. That's why he drank the cup. It's for the people that crucified him. That's why he drank the cup. He drank the cup because you and I fall short. We sin. 
He drank the cup because we don't pray like we should and we fall into temptation like we shouldn't. But the good news is he drank the cup of wrath. So this morning when we drank from a cup, we didn't drink to remember God's wrath. We drank to remember God's forgiveness, his mercy, his love. That's the good news. That when we could never fully obey the prayed and not fall into temptation, Jesus did. He prayed and trusted himself to God perfectly. He didn't fall into temptation. So he could die in our place, be raised again, so that we might be given new life. The Bible describes it as a new heart. It describes it as the Holy Spirit dwelling within us so that having died to sin, having died to our self-reliance, we might live in utter dependence on God by the Spirit and actually find ourselves praying and not fall into temptation. That we might actually find ourselves praying, not because we have to or to measure up, but because we've so recognized our need that our natural response is to say to God, help, I'm needy. And that's called prayer. Help, God, I'm needy again. I need you. And you know what? He loves to answer that prayer. He loves to answer that prayer. And if you don't pray and fall into temptation, he still invites you to come back and say, I'm needy, God, I screwed up. He forgives us because of Jesus. And then sometimes we'll pray and he'll say, yeah, and I'm going to strengthen you to make it when we wouldn't have made it before. The good news is that Jesus isn't just our model. He's not just our teacher in this. Although, yes, let's try to follow him. But the good news is first and foremost that he did what we couldn't so that in him we might actually have a new life, a new righteousness, not of ourselves, but of Jesus. And actually, maybe God might actually transform us to be a little bit more like Jesus, not by our effort, but by our trusting in Jesus and what he did for us. Let's pray. Father, I, what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give us all things? God, you're, you're amazing. So I pray this morning that every one of our hearts would reject any attempt for self-reliance. We would see that that road leads to death and sin temptation, and we would just trust you. Not as something we're doing to earn your grace, but as a response to your grace. Just responding to your mercy, responding to the good news that you said that you've paid for our sins and say, okay, I'm going to believe you in that. I'm going to trust you in that. I need your help. How would you make us people of trust in you, of trust in your son, of trust and reliance on the spirit? We need you, God. Help us to know that and rejoice in our neediness because we know that you've proven yourself to be a God who will meet us in our need, lavish us with mercy, and strengthen us by your grace exactly when we're weak. For in our weakness, your grace is sufficient. Amen.